This is Factual America. I'm your host, Matthew Sherwood. Each week I watch a hit documentary and then talk with the filmmakers and their subjects. What's it like to make a documentary about your mother? What's it like when your mom happens to be the most powerful woman in America? Find out as we chat with six-time Emmy-nominated filmmaker Alexandra Pelosi, the director and producer of Pelosi in the House. The film provides a behind-the-scenes view of what it's like to be the Speaker of the House. But that was just an excuse for a wide-ranging discussion about life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness in 21st century America. We find out why Alexandra would never commission a political doc these days. What's it like to have January 6th insurrectionists show up at your front door just before a podcast interview? And how New York City has become a misanthropic parody of itself. Alexandra Pelosi, welcome to Factual America. How are things with you? Um, gosh, I could go into the deep existential answer, or I could just go with fine. Everything's just fine. Thank you. So for that's that. yeah. This is a British podcast, so just just say fine because we people ask that and don't actually really want to know because they're afraid of the possible answer. But uh, but I think we will go in a little bit more into that because I know you've had a very interesting day. Uh, leading up to this podcast uh, recording. So, um, but before we're going... Interesting. You imply that I don't have interesting days. Oh, my goodness. Now, this film is making more and more sense. (laughs) It's now talking... The problem with what I do for a living is that real life and documentary and life and documentary, it's all sort of blended into... I mean, one of the things that the iPhone did Mm. was it just erased the line between work and life because every you have a camera like a really high quality camera in your hand at every waking moment then every waking moment could be a documentary or could be a part of a documentary and so you don't ever invite me to your home if you don't want to see it on tv does that make sense well i i certainly make sense to me i mean I myself am trying to get a really good camera because I'm tired of using a phone as a camera because I don't know like the, the camera the best phone there is. And the mistake of trying to get a really good camera I have found is that it's a crutch. Your iPhone on January 6th, all I had was an iPhone. Yeah. And that was the best weapon I could have had because if I had a real camera, people uh. would have shut down and said, do you have permission to film? Are you supposed to be filming? This is an right. army base. You weren't authorized. Right. Everybody has a phone in their hands, except Chuck Schumer, who uses a flip phone. But I've heard that. Yeah, I know he had a flip phone the whole day, but um, that's that's what he has. But so a phone, people just think you're sitting there watching YouTube videos. They don't know what you're doing, and so you can be capturing anything at any moment, and that's so much more real than a camera. Because when you have a camera, an mm. experiment watched is an experiment changed. I have teenagers in chemistry, so I talk right. about this. Time, you know, right. an experiment watched is an experiment changed. So if you have a camera, people behave a certain mm. way because they know they're being filmed. And you never really want to film anything that someone gives you permission to film. Mm. So anytime I write to someone asking for permission to film something or to get an interview, it always ends up being editing, cutting room floor material because right. you never want an interview that someone grants. Why would you want to talk to someone who gives you permission? It doesn't mm. make sense. You're not saying if you're agreeing to be interviewed, then you're not saying anything that you don't approve being out into the world. And therefore, it's not going to be very interesting. 
So how do you, so in any doc, at some point, if there's a particular subject in question, they've got to at least agree to be talking to you and being filmed. No, they don't actually. That's well, my magic. This is what's, <laughs> this is, this is my whole motto. The year I was a network news producer for a decade at NBC News, I was right. assigned to cover the George Bush campaign right. and I on the bus. This was before the iPhone was invented and I had a handheld camera and I was mm. filming just off moments. Mm. And, you know, we had those big network crews with the audio, mm. with the boom mic guys that did the real filming. And then there was just me. I was just like the kid on the bus and it was after hours and I pulled my little handy cam out like I was a on vacation because I spent a year and a half on the George W. Bush presidential campaign. Right. So now and then I saw interesting things that I thought should have been captured just like you, you know, so I filmed it. And one time Carl Rove saw me filming and he walked over to me and he said, oh, I get it. It's better to beg for forgiveness than ask for permission. Well, Like I get, that's your motto. And I'm like, yeah, yeah you get it. And from that <laughs> moment on, that was where my life as a documentary filmmaker was born because I realized my whole approach to everything was I'm only going to film things that I don't have permission to film. Hmm. Fast forward 20 years later, I'm in Washington, D.C. a few weeks ago with George Bush, George W. Bush, the star of my first film, who yeah. never gave me permission to film him or never signed a release. And I was explaining to him. I have good news. I made a new film. Don't you want to know who it's about? And I turned to my mother and I said, it's about you. And she looks at me sort of nervous, uncomfortably laughing. And I'm saying, yeah, actually, I made a movie about you. Well, she never gave me permission. She never signed a release. She never let me put a microphone on her. She never really. I mean, I film everything. I've been filming everything my entire life. I'm 52 years old and I've had I mean, from the forget the iPhone. That was, what you know. 2006, I think, 2007 was the first iPhone. Of course, I've been filming that long, but I've been filming since I was a teenager with versions of whatever camera right. I had at the time. So I've been filming everything my whole life. So of course, my mother was used to me filming everything all the time. So it's just a question of, what do you mean you're making a movie? Oh, actually, I've been editing a movie and I'm going to put it on HBO and that's what happened. So that's how <laughs> I So, so well, you've, you've answered some of the questions I had. I mean, was... I was thinking, because, you know, the way the film starts, uh, you know, was your mom humoring you all these years? Or was it she's just used to you always running around with a camera around the house and when you're visiting on Capitol Hill? And so, you know, she she really didn't have any idea that this was going to someday end up in a in a dock. Uh, she did never, she never, ever thought it would end up in a dock because she thought there were rules and that you have to ask for permission and that you can't just <laughs> one's phone conversation on HBO and get away with it. Right. So she didn't think it was legal. But besides that, and maybe it wasn't, but besides that, um, I think the best compliment I got about the film came from James Brooks, you know, the Hollywood icon legend, like my favorite person in the whole world. Mm. He called me and he said, I just realized your mother, she's a saint because she put up with you for all these years. <laughs> And that was his takeaway from the film. God, how awful it would be to have a documentary filmmaker daughter who's just walking behind you, yelling at you all the time, asking you questions. And you know, like she's constantly swatting me away like a fly. She is. With me because I'm her daughter. So it's sort of like the only way I ever could have made this film was just like following her around and asking her questions. What are you doing now? How, you know, how many votes do you need to win this? Why are you doing this? You know, that was basically 
as close as I was ever going to get to my own mother and to making a documentary about a political person. Because if you walk into the Capitol and you try to film anybody, first of all, there's signs everywhere that say you're not allowed to film anything in any office. And there are all these rules with the Capitol Police and all that. Forget about that. Besides that, you there's a, like a staff, of, like uh, press people, people who are put out to control people's images. You know, there's a whole like entourage of people that would say, no, no, no. If you ever tried to get near anyone, even mm. just any regular member of Congress, they have offices full of people to say no to you, to keep you away. But they can't really keep your daughter away. Mm. You know, what are you supposed to do? The annoying daughter is over there asking, you know, lots of questions. But what are they going to do? Step in? Yeah. What They can't, right? So it doesn't matter if you hate Nancy Pelosi because half the country hates Nancy Pelosi. And I would too if I watched Fox News because Fox News is programmed half the country to hate Nancy Pelosi. This movie is not about Nancy Pelosi. What it's about is what is the Speaker of the House? What does the Speaker of the House do all day? Well, Nancy well, Pelosi told me she had never been into the Speaker's office until she became Speaker herself. And I thought that was intriguing because I walked into the Speaker's office with her the first time she ever walked in. And she'd been in Congress a long time before she became Speaker, right? Mm. So I thought that was really interesting. And I thought, well, I spent thousands of hours. You know, she was Speaker once, she was Speaker twice. It's like, right. you know, decades. She's been Speaker. She had been Speaker for so long. I thought, I've been in this office for so long. And I've been filming so much of it. I thought, that was my duty. My community mm. service was sharing it with people. Look what happens in the speaker's office. Look, she's counting her votes. This is how you pass a bill. This is how a bill becomes a law. It's all civics lesson, you know? Mm. And she's not speaker anymore. So it doesn't matter what you think of her because, you know, she's an old lady and she doesn't, she doesn't care what you think of her. But she, she did teach me some things. There's some lessons about how to survive in the, you know, the snake pit that is Washington political industrial complex. Mm that I think you learn from watching this movie. And I think that has some value. I have discovered what I didn't even anticipate because I'm so naive. When I put the movie out, you know, I've been working at HBO for 20 years. Ever since yeah. I made that George movie, I've made 14 films for HBO. So I've been doing this forever. What I didn't realize had happened since we started editing. I have an editor's, you know, a genius old man who's about to retire, he tried to retire twice on this project. I said, no, you're going to stay and finish. You're going to stay and finish because mm -hmm. the film kept going. What I did not anticipate is the reason why you, no, you should never make a film about a person in public office. Ask me, why, should, why do you recommend to all documentary filmmakers, don't ever make a film about someone in public office? I'm going, I, you've asked that question, why should, and I will ask it, and I'll tell you, there's especially why I'm going to ask it but uh, later, but why should you never make a film about someone who's in public office, Alexander? Because half the country automatically is programmed to hate that person, and whoever it is, Democrat, Republican, Libertarian, tree hugger, whatever. Yeah. And what they will do is the haters that sit home in their underwear on the internet will go onto the internet before your film is released and shit all over your film so that it has terrible reviews, even though the film's never been released and no one's seen it. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> so you'll go online and say, wow, Rotten Tomatoes, I've got a 38% rating, but the film hasn't even come out yet. How could they say that? They haven't even seen it. Mm. Meaning we're talking about the audience review. So the audience never could have seen any of it. We haven't even had a public screening. Nancy Pelosi hasn't even seen it. How could 
the um, America have voted to give this a 38%. And it's like, because only 38% of America likes her. Now, there's a legitimate reason to not like this film. I could give you, I could write the worst review of this film ever because films are like children. They don't always grow up to be exactly what you want them to be, right? Okay, yeah. I can give a really bad review of my own films. I have, give, I could write the, the best worst reviews of all my films. But you can come up with a thousand reasons to not like this film. But that's not what's in the reviews you find on the internet. On the internet, you find, I hate Nancy Pelosi. I give it a one. Yeah, Nancy Pelosi sucks. I'll give it a one. And so, <laughs> so you're like, well, wait, hold on. If you watch the film, you could give a really sophisticated reason for why you hate Nancy Pelosi. Like, you could go deeper. You could have much more content mm. used as ammunition in your review, which I could give it a one review because I could give you legitimate things that didn't work because she wouldn't answer my questions or she I couldn't well, crack her. But But you didn't even watch the film because you just have this hate in your soul and hate comes out. People come out out of hate. People don't come out out of love. You don't find a lot of love on the internet. You find just a lot of toxic hate. That's what I have found. Well, and the reason I find this very, very, it's interesting regardless, but what I find especially interesting is I just will say that I've had some experience with some people who are trying to do something similar uh, on the other end of the capital and have been in the capital with a crew that has tried to do some similar things. Nothing like 20 years worth, but something in the last couple of years. And one thing, so a, a couple things. Uh, did I, And you said it would be one of the big criticisms. Did you ever get her to crack or let her guard down? And how is it? I mean, because that's my experience and the experience I've seen with other politicians, the, the best ones at least, is she ever, uh, at least with you on camera, is she ever not on message? And is it possible to get someone off a message who's a great politician? But that's what people need to kind of try to understand. Yeah. These people, it's in their DNA. That's what if I was, you yeah. have given up your whole life to public service, like Nancy Pelosi will say, public service is a noble calling. Mm. You know, her father was in Congress. Right. She gave her to Congress. Whether you hater politics or not, that's not what this is about. This is about, I have decided I'm a warrior and I'm going into battle, mm. okay? If you're a warrior going into battle, this is what you believe. So when people say, well, did she crack? You couldn't get her to get off message. No, because that is her, that's, she rolls over in her sleep. I have slept in beds with her many nights. She rolls <laughs> over at night and counts <laughs> about that bill. That's yeah. in her DNA, it's who she is. So. I've spent 52 years on this earth with Nancy Pelosi. It's not, she's not another person at home. It's almost as if people want her to come home, take her heels off and just right. start trash talking Kevin McCarthy. It doesn't happen. That doesn't yeah. happen. Yeah. So there's no different. Per the person that I put on my film is the person that I have known my entire life. There isn't another version of her that exists somewhere. And what I think a lot of people, when they criticize movies, any movie is, well, you didn't talk about global warming. That's, I wasn't making a movie about global warming. I was making yeah. a movie about counting votes for Obamacare. Like people have these, the audience doesn't know how to watch a film and process like, this is what I'm serving you for dinner. This is an Italian food. It's not Mexican. It's not Chinese. Yeah. It's Italian. And we're having Italian food for dinner tonight. And you're going to meet this person. This is an introduction to this woman, my mother. 
and I'd like you to meet her. And you get, you only have to spend less than two hours with her. I have to spend my whole life with her. I'm just giving you two hours. And there's a lot of crap streaming on HBO right now or Sky, wherever you watch this. Yeah. And I'm saying, I'm not saying that this is like, has any more value than any of that. I'm just saying, mm. here's an interesting peek behind closed doors, exactly. inside the, in the room where it happens. Yeah. This is what goes on back there. You want to peek? If not, change the channel. I don't really care. I'm just totally fascinated by how people can't just take something they're given, eat it and enjoy it and digest it for what it is without saying, yeah, but you didn't get her to say, I hate Kevin McCarthy. It's like, because she never, she never says that. That's not who she is. In fact, during the whole week that they were going through that whole speaker's race, all she said is, this is so sad for the country. I'm so sad for the country. The country shouldn't be seeing this. She didn't say a word about him. Because that's not who she is. Yeah, yeah, it's, yeah. it's like trying to change people. Saying, did you get her to crack? is like saying, did you change your boyfriend who's cheating on you? No, he, that's who he is. You can't yeah. change people. You can't change people. And you can't make Nancy Pelosi be someone she's not. And I'm sorry if she's not the person you wish she were that came home and, like, you know, had wild dance parties and <laughs> oh, trash about every Republican in the Congress. Right. Right. That's she just doesn't do that. And sorry. But, but I understand. I mean, what your film does, and I think there are very few films that I'm aware of who've done this, is done exactly what you said you were venturing out to do, which is pull the curtain back, show what it's like behind the scenes of power and policy making and vote counting and how things get done on the Hill. And we don't, I mean, I think back to maybe even like all the way back to like Robert Drew and Penny Baker type Kennedy type films, you know, but you don't see many things. We get, we have political docs, but we very seldom really actually see these conversations between politicians and what's going Thank on. This, this is like making my day, my week, my month, because um, I think in the kind of landscape we live in now, like the media intelligentsia, no one has said that. And I'm sort of stunned because I'm like, do you have any idea how many risks I took uh, legally, personally, professionally to put stuff out that really I had no right to be putting in public? You know, hmm. stuff that was filmed, you know, <laughs> that other people in the room didn't know I was filming. I made a film called Meet the Donors. And it was, I went to across America and I interviewed the list of the biggest donors, both right. parties. Got half Republicans, half Democrats. Tell me, these are all billionaires. Tell me, why do you give so much money to politics? I'm curious, what's in it for you, right? Mm -hmm. And I went to a George Soros party and I filmed and I didn't pay to go. I was, an, I was an invited guest. I just went as, you know, my mom's plus one. But anyway, I filmed and then I put it in my movie. And now I'm persona non grata in the Soros household because uh, they weren't very happy that I did that because they thought that was some sort of violation, which probably was. But again, back to my motto of it's better to beg for forgiveness than ask for permission. I thought, look, people have a right to see this is our president. Barack Obama's there. This is, you know, all these, you know, billionaires. Mm -hmm. I think it's what's happening in the room. That film came out and it got like terrible reviews. And I was surprised because I was like, well, I took a lot of risks here. I, you know, the Washington Post said it was like obvious, like Alexander Pelosi is Captain Obvious. 
talking about money and politics. Like, really? Because you've never been invited to George Soros' house, and you haven't been kicked out of George Soros' house, and you're not persona non grata at George Soros' house because you filmed and put it on TV. So until you wear that scarlet, you know, I got kicked out of George Soros' house on your, you don't really have the kind of, like, street cred to be saying how obvious my film is. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Are yeah, you with I- I'm I'm with you on this one, and I'm. It's you've got me wondering. Can you? you I mean, you're at HBO, so you have some pull there. I would have thought. Uh, can political docs get made anymore? Can they get? Can can they get commissioned? Because as you say, in a, we're in a world where now you're already starting off with having probably pissed off half your prospective audience. Um, if I were running the world, if I were running the media universe, I would never commission a political doc. I would say, don't waste your time because I think that the landscape is so toxic right now. The political discourse is so broken that all you're going to get is hate for trying. There's no sort of like, hmm, that was an interesting attempt to try and show me something I hadn't seen before. You're not going you're, you're to get people... Yeah that watch Fox news to come over to HBO to watch movies say, Hmm, I never thought of it like that. No one is, no one's going to surprise you. People are going to watch the movies that they want. And, and I think that it's for at this moment in time, maybe it will all change. I'm just saying for this moment in time, I watched a political doc last night, really depressed me. It's called um, this place rules. And it's a young YouTuber guy, 25 year old guy Mm. who goes on the road and it's on HBO and he goes across the road uh, across America and he talks to, crazy people. That's it. He just talks to crazy people. That's the whole premise. It's like he goes to rallies. Mm. I'd been at all those rallies because I've been doing this for a very long time. I'm like the Mm. oldest person alive, like kid with a camera routine. I've been out there and I was at a lot of the same rallies that he was at or a lot of, a lot of the same event, Black Lives Matter Mm. protests, that kind of stuff. Yeah. And I made a film in 2000 when Barack Obama was running for president against John McCain. The idea was we know Barack Obama is going to win. So let's go to all the McCain rallies and talk to the people who don't like Barack Obama and find out why they're still showing it. They loved Sarah Palin. So let's go to the Sarah Palin, John right, McCain rally. Right, right. The premise of the film. We started filming knowing that Barack Obama was going to be president. It seems so obvious. It was like, you know, after the, anyway. So I went to these rallies and people would say like, oh, Obama's the antichrist. Oh, Obama. They'd say terrible things. Yeah. And I was filming it and I was, I mean, this, everybody was saying this. And it was really like, wow, America, this is real America. Not like mm. your liberal bubble Manhattan where I live. This right. is real America. And I was stunned. People said these things. I went back and I edited a very grown up and mature version of it. You know, I gave everybody the, the best edit possible so that they mm. didn't look, just let them speak their opinions. But I didn't go into the Obama's Christ, mm. Antichrist and he's Satan and all that. But at one rally, I put one guy who said, you know, I, I don't trust Obama. I think he's Satan or something like that. And Richard Plepler, who was the president of HBO at the time, said, you can't put that on HBO. You just can't. We're not in the business. Of, so he changed the title. I thought it had such a clever title. It was Right America Feeling Wronged. And he made us change the title, add a subtitle that said, Some Voices from the Campaign Trail. He insisted some voices from the campaign trail, meaning, well, all these people don't like Obama. This is just some people because the world loves Obama. I mean, we, we know that. This is just right. some people. Right. We have to just like, discredit all the other half of America by saying 
some voices, okay? So I've been making these kind of films like Outside the Bubble was another one where I go out mm. to America, try to give the benefit of doubt to the person on the other side. And I make friends with them and I go to their house and I sleep in their bed and I talk to their grandchildren and I make friends with them and I go to their barbecues. That's been my whole shtick. I've been doing this for a long time. So the film that I watched, all taking this back to this last film I watched, which is the most recent political documentary to ever air on HBO. Mm. I watched this film and it was all people saying, you know, Biden is a pedophile. And I was like, whoa, 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 whoa. This is QAnon crazy. Right. And there's a moment where you have to say, now I'm being the grown up because, you know, I, I'm saying, do we need to put that on TV? Is that really something that we have to be is, really? And so that one, one, one crazy guy in my movie mm. a long time ago has now become the, everyone just focuses on that guy in the whole movie. Right. And it ends up on the air. And I think that that is what sells. I think that movie has a great score on Rotten Tomatoes, like a perfect score on Rotten Tomatoes, because people love watching crazy. And people love watching sick people get a microphone and say the craziest thing they can think of. And I think that's why our political environment is so toxic and broken, because we keep handing the microphone. Thank you, Donald Trump. This is all in the what Donald Trump did to our political mm -hmm. conversation is he turned it into every crazy person gets to say the craziest Pizzagate conspiracy right. theory out of their mind. And we hand them the microphone and we let them do that. And I think that it's, you know, that's, that's what 20 year olds do and God bless them for trying. But I just, I think if I were the executive, I would say, you know, maybe we need to be a little more grown up in our approach to having a political, a grown up political dialogue. Okay. Well, speaking of being grown up, we've actually got to give our uh, sponsors a little word. So uh, we'll be right back with uh, Alexandra Pelosi, the producer and director of Pelosi in the House, uh, still on HBO and on Sky here in the UK. You're listening to Factual America. Subscribe to our mailing list or follow us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter at Alamo Pictures to keep up to date with new releases or upcoming shows. Check out the show notes to learn more about the program, our guests, and the team behind the production. Now back to Factual America. Welcome back to Factual America. I'm here with acclaimed filmmaker Alexandra Pelosi, producer and director of Pelosi in the House, uh, which uh, is acclaimed. on HP. Where'd you get acclaimed? Where'd you come up with that word? Do you not like that word? Do you want no. uh, Emmy nominated? I'm, I'm Do you want? I'm flattered. I think it's really. I want to put it on my tombstone. Acclaimed. Who came up with it? I mean, I don't know. I, I did. Good. I did. But you're you ha happy for you to use it. I, I don't have uh, ownership or trademark or anything on there. So uh, so you're free. Feel free to use that. Um, Compliment I've gotten this week. So I'm going to take it. Well, I'm good. I'm, I'm, I'm doing all right so far. Um, the um, I mean, we were talking about uh, you're you're talking about this film you just watched and uh, the sort of the QAnon craziness. I mean, I think the thing about your the film that we are sort of talking about uh, Pelosi in the House is, I mean, you, you do document that this craziness isn't just something that's happened. I mean, I'm not, it's gone on, it's on steroids now, right? And as, as you were talking about what what sort of Trump's influence, but but there's, you know, there was this craziness going on. It's been going on for a while, uh, as, you, as the film shows with your, with your mother and the, uh, you know, during the Iraq War and uh, Obamacare and people, you know, your, your nephews have grown up with people demonstrating outside your 
their their grandmother's house and stuff. Um, those but, are my kids. Oh, my are those those kids? Is, is Paul your? Which one's your kids? Paul and Thomas are my children, and they ah. are always there when um, when Paul was born. Yeah. George Bush came to visit him. That was like this, you know, because I made the George Bush movie and my George right. Bush came out. Yeah. And so his welcome to the world. The first phone call I got in the hospital was George Bush calling and saying, call him George. But I didn't call him George. I called him Paul after my dad. <laughs> and then Paul was with me. So he's been there every way. He was through all of Obamacare, obviously, through his whole life. That's the only life he's ever known is just being, you know, two steps behind Nancy Pelosi. So he gets to hear everything that people say behind Nancy Pelosi's back, which is an interesting way of seeing how people treat you to your face and then hearing what everyone says behind your back is a right. really interesting way as a teenager to grow up because I had that experience, but I was older. He got it as that's how he views right. the world. Right. The contrast is very intriguing to him. But anyway, he was with me on January 6th and he was in the bunker and he, um, first of all, that morning he kept saying, and it's in the movie, he kept saying, what if they storm the Capitol? Wait, what well, if they is, break yeah. He called it and everyone looked at him like, oh, you crazy kid. And if anyone had listened to him I, all day, he kept saying, it's a pretty big crowd. What if they just break in? What if they just storm into the Capitol? And the security <laughs> looked at him like, ha, so cute. Yeah. And uh, so when we were being escorted out of the building, he was like, I knew this was going to happen. I knew this. I mean, mm -hmm. so it's interesting for someone to grow up in that. The reason I make the point about the George Bush birth and the right. capital in the bunker with Mitch McConnell and Kevin McCarthy yeah. is that for this, my son, to have this, why does everybody want to kill Mimi? We call her Mimi. Right. Right. Why do you want to kill Mimi, he's asking me. And I'm like, well, I don't really um, have a good answer for that right now. I mean, I guess you should go turn on Fox News and Tucker Carlson can explain it to you. But for now, I'm trying to figure out why does everybody want to kill Mimi? And it's interesting because in the George Bush era, there were die-ins in front of Nancy Pelosi's house every day that Paul watched with his own two eyes because people didn't like the Iraq war. So they went and protested at my parents' house and they lived in San Francisco in front of my parents' house. And so we'd come and go and there'd be protesters doing die-ins mm -hmm. in front of the house all the time. But it never, we never thought they were going to break in and, you know, right. kill us. So it was interesting for a child who had been raised on protest and, die-ins to then get to the point at 16 being like, so why does everybody want to kill her? You know, I, like it, in his mind, he never thought oh, right. of like those nice liberal tree hugging anti-war protesters as being a threat to his livelihood to um, people that we were hiding from the bunker to then, as you know, uh, there we were in the ICU when my father was attacked. Right. right. Circle. It was like, oh, and here we come, full circle. You know, like life. It's like the circle of life. You know, that's where we are. We've we've come through in the circle of life. There are consequences for crazy shit that people say on Fox News. It trickles down to the unwell, and the unwell. And big distinction. I'm not saying mentally ill because mentally ill is a is a write off. Like, oh, he's mentally ill, so yeah, he shouldn't go to jail or pay a price mm -hmm. for what. No, it trickles down to people who are just not very educated and not very, um, you know, don't have much to live for. So they break into someone's house and try and kill the guy. And it's important. That's when you say we're going back to the answer to the question. In case you're wondering mm -hmm. what this rant was about. 
would you commission a political doc today? And I would say no, because I think if political dialogue has dissolved to the level that, you know, I'm sitting in the Mark Zuckerberg, San Francisco General ICU hospital, right? I'm looking there and I'm thinking, isn't this ironic? The definition of irony (laughs) is that we're sitting in Mark Zuckerberg ICU wing of the hospital because really he's the one that put us here in the first place. Because without Facebook, (laughs) without social media, this toxic crap wouldn't spread and we never would have ended up here. That's the that's the legacy of social media and, you know, fake news and, you know, conspiracy theories and crazy, crazy talk. It leads somewhere. It almost killed my father. Father came within centimeters of of death. The the, the doctor said he was like luckiest man alive. I mean, I don't know how you're lucky when you almost whatever. But he almost got killed in his own home in the middle of the night because somebody doesn't like the politics of his wife. Now, if that person really was convicted, if any of these people going all the way back to the tree huggers really meant it, they'd go to Washington, D.C. because Nancy Pelosi's in Washington, D.C. So if you're looking to protest or do harm, go to Washington, D.C. But I'll tell you why people don't do that because it's cold there and nobody wants to sleep and have a die-in in front of Nancy Pelosi's house in Washington, D.C. because it's below zero because it's winter and it's not comfortable. It's much more fun to have a party in front of her San Francisco house where, you know, groups have had parties, protest parties, d- live-ins, mattresses, everything for, for decades in front of my parents' home in San Francisco because it's fun. It's a good party. You may get laid. You don't know. I'm growing a bra off and burn it. You don't know. Where the fun is. You never see those people in Washington. That's the funny part. It's like if they really had the conviction in their soul, they'd show up in Washington, but they don't because it's not a good party there. Unless you're a Trump and it's January 6th, and then it's the greatest party on earth. Well, and so given what you've all said, what you said, you wouldn't commission a political doc and about all this craziness. Um, one, I, I, you made us aware that uh, one reason we were slightly delayed in uh, recording this, uh, this podcast is that uh, you're actually going ahead. And not following your own advice, I gather, or maybe it isn't a political doc per se, but you are, uh, is it okay to talk about this, that you're working with, uh, or not working with, but trying to understand the insurrectionists? I am, okay, first of all, it's it's too late for me. I'm an old lady. You know, this is like, you're talking to a grandma here. Like, you're compared you're to, younger than me, but anyway. <laughs> well, I mean, like the whole, you know, the new- But I know where doc, you're coming from. I know where you're- 25-year-old YouTuber that's living in an RV and traveling the country and talking to Antifa. That's the hot new thing. Right. So that's right. the direction that political docs are going in. And I'm saying, well, I mean, now I'm sounding like the old lady sitting at home with her, you know, I've got an iPhone and, yeah, you know. Yeah. Um, so I have been working on a film in which I've been- having conversations with insurrectionists, but not from a place of judgment or, you know, disdain, or it's more trying to break through this moment. Mm. Where did you get these ideas? Who told you this? Why? Just the why of it all. And when I show up, you know, I've written basically all 800 of them. And I know in the first five minutes, you know, half of them won't talk to me. Let's take like the first half. Right. Them, you know, they'll write me some, you know, toxic spew bag. I'm like, fine, whatever. Then the ones that will engage, then there's like a good percent that are just like, 
yeah, um, Joe Biden eats babies or whatever. And then I'm like, okay, I'm not talking to you because yeah, no. Okay. So then I go, I just keep having conversations with people till I find the normal ones. Because mm. there had to be like good normal people there that day that mm. were not, you know, QAnon crazy or, you know, whatever. And so that's what this is all about. It's like trying to get an actual answer. I'm trying to actually come up with an answer, like about the why of that day. And I've been doing it for two years and I have not come up with an answer except that America has a ter- it's an indictment against the educational, you know, our hmm. education in America is, you know, rock bottom. We have no civics. We have the combination of getting no education, unless you're in like super fancy private schools like my kids, then yeah. they have a great education and they're smarter than I am. But I'm saying like the public schools have failed us. And then we have this toxic social media going where people just get, you know, insane amounts of, they call them conspiracy theories, but it's, if you say that, you're kind of just writing it off. Like, oh, you know, who shot JFK? It's a conspiracy theory. This is called just flat out fabrications, packaged right. as right. truth. Right. And then, you know, worked through as opinion through the, you know, and I think MSNBC is just as guilty as Fox News. I mean, I'm not throwing the stone at one side or the other. It, mm, there mm. is a certain amount of um, money to be made on conflict in cable news and on social media. And some people are getting very rich, so rich that they can dedicate a whole wing of, uh, they can build a whole hospital in San Francisco where my father can go after he gets attacked for online conspiracy theories from some crazy person, you know, but, but not crazy. Make sure we don't use the word crazy because that asshole is not getting off by just saying he was crazy because he knew exactly what he was doing because he walked into the house and said, I'm here to break Nancy's kneecaps so that she has to go back to Congress and roll into the Congress in a wheelchair because Trump, 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 he used the name Mm -hmm. Trump. Like you, you're, that's not crazy, honey. You knew exactly what you were saying because it was all coherent and there's a full transcript and it was all mm. on the body cam and we've gotten, we, we know exactly what you said and there's nothing crazy. It's all exactly what you heard on Fox news. Mm. And I can prove it. If you want me to take transcripts, I will. I've done the deep dive. I have a lot of, I'm a documentary filmmaker. I have a lot of free time. I've taken the confession. <laughs> I've taken the transcripts and I can highlight for you. You know, let's compare and cut and paste, compare Mm. and contrast. It all comes down to Donald Trump. And I mean, that's the thing that, uh, because I haven't done the deep dive, but I've finally started, you know, looking into some of these things. And it's, I guess what I, you know, like you say, conspiracy theories, people had their, like you said, let's not call it that. And it's people had their views or whatever but this is these are like you say it's it's downright just lies and misinformation but have you gotten to anywhere where why you what's the incentive for these people to i mean besides trump i mean you know like um even even the people who they think started or were you know fueling QAnon and all this what is what what's I'm not in it for them do you think i'm not i'm not an expert and i don't want to pretend to be an expert i don't want to tell you that i know anything because i really don't know yeah. anything but what i do know is america's dying it's like we are just, we were once a great and mighty nation and, you know, this was the greatest country on earth and all that. But as I told my mother in the ICU when my father was sitting there, Nancy Pelosi never gave a speech in which she didn't say this is the greatest country on earth. And I said, if you ever say that in a speech ever again, I'm going to punch you in the face. Um, that was a callback to in my movie when she said she was going to punch Trump in the face. So That's right. right. For those of you that watched the movie. Um, so the point being that we were once a mighty and great 
you know, heroic nation, almighty USA, proud to be an American where at least I know I'm free, sing, sing along with me, right? Um, and we're not anymore. And I think that it's sad when we used to be something, we see it slipping away. And we see that, um, you know, it's that whole white replacement thing and all, you know, there's a lot of, we're, we're mourning the loss of this, you know, what something we used to have that we don't have anymore. And so instead of just like manning up and going back to school and learning a new trade and trying to adapt or die, mm. we are, um, you know, putting on our MAGA hat and storming the Capitol and uh, just showing our ignorance. And and you think it it's it's what we're watching in I mean <clears throat> maybe like a slow train wreck or something it's it's like a a fail maybe it's a bit cliched but it's failing empire it's whatever it is but I mean where do you where where was the high point for you the I I, I do th this is something I I do wonder when was the high point for U.S. Uh, America I mean when did this you know when did the th it's I all very it's very personal for you you know i have a dutch husband he came to america and he had all of those naive right. child american dream kind of worldview he gave up his citizenship i made him during the patriot act patriot act remember george w bush yeah, i was like yeah. they the euros out any minute they don't like you the iraq war the netherlands were on the right side but you don't know that you know government can change i'm afraid of the government who knows what they can change the laws tomorrow and just sort of like yeah. kick people out and we had kids so i was like you know what you should you should just go and sign up so he um became an american citizen and we traveled the country and made a film called citizen usa mm. and it was talking to people about why did you choose america and they'd say things like mm. indoor plumbing or free ref re free refills right or you know there were there were there were some there were a lot of good answers to why people chose america compared to what it's all a question of like compared to what compared to some shithole country you just left sure but here's the problem europe is great <laughs> so you know it's compared to what country are we talking about so mm -hmm. i would say you know the the glory days for me, we're watching, like seeing America through the eyes of all these new immigrants when I made that film. So that was mm. probably the greatest time I had. For everyone, it's personal. It's their moment that they thought. Yeah. And then um, certainly, I don't know anybody's, you, know, you could say, the, you know, you could go back to Ronald Reagan and I don't care, Shining, you know, City on a Hill. But everyone can agree that COVID was, I mean, I'll be political and say I blame it all on Donald Trump, but it's, that's too easy. I would definitely say that COVID just, just rug, rug out from under us yeah. because that it was all of a sudden we thought we knew our neighbors and we thought we had relationships and community and mm. it all fell apart because you know the people that were coming to my house were saying things that um you know you only see on QAnon channels or something i'd say whoa 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 where'd you go i think people lost their minds during covid and i don't blame them really because it was a it was a crazy it was a crazy time and we're still kind of in it. It's still this sort of like, we don't know if we're like going back to work or we're at work or we're not. Like the offices are closed, but people, nobody's there. When I go to the office, people are still saying they have to work from home because of, I'm like, why? COVID's gone. But I guess it's not because there's a new strand or something. I don't think we've ever, see, we haven't, I don't know how it is right now in the UK, but we haven't reset mm. post-COVID as like as a country. We don't know 
Like they're, everyone says they can't go to work. Like the people I work with, they all say, oh, I can't go to work. Cause you know, everyone wants to work from home because everyone likes being in their underwear all day. But then there are really long lines at my coffee shop during the day. And I'm like, wait, hold on. We can't go to the office, but we can all go hang out together <laughs> at the news yeah. bar. Yeah. Or we to get lunch. We can yeah. all go out to lunch. Everybody's going out to lunch. I'm like, nobody's working anymore. Nobody wants to work. And I get it. Work. I, I'd rather go to Sweet Green than, you know, have actual, <laughs> you know, cafeteria lunch. But it, there's, it, we haven't, the rules are still not in place about how we're supposed to behave post COVID. So I don't know. I don't know when it was the best, but I can tell you when it's the worst. And now I don't know if you've been to New York lately, but it's a little bit like uh, a freak show with like mentally ill people on the streets. Everybody's gotten really anxious and really like paranoid. And they're like mm. weird episodes. I'm on next door, which is an app. Talk about toxic. I just don't a- know. We have next door over here. Okay. So I have the app and I read these things like today, I got attacked on the street and I had to have surgery and like things happen on my street. When you read what's going on in your neighborhood, you get like, you'll never leave the house again because it's, and I have neighbors that won't leave the house. They refuse to leave the house for any reason. And they ask me to go move their cars for them on street sweeping. Right. 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 It's that's how weird it's gotten. People have gotten really weird. And I have, I do have a friend that's like a, a psychiatrist and she was telling me yesterday, she was saying, um, 31 years I've been in practice and I've never had this kind of people are just afraid of each other. They're just afraid to go out. They're afraid of there's like mm. this whole Instacart culture that has evolved because people don't want to go out the front door. They're afraid to ride the subway. They're afraid to walk down the street. They're afraid they're going to be pushed on a subway track. Right. And there's just a certain right now, a certain just inbred paranoia slash, you know, uh, agoraphobia that's set in. And I don't know how we're going to, you know sort of fumigate and get everybody back out of, you know, out of their apartments again. Well, and we've sort of set that ourselves up for that, haven't we, with, uh, I mean, uh, my next door uh, feed is very much, very different here. It's all about someone's missing cat or has anyone uh, uh-huh. wants some, wants some uh, or, you know, orange marmalade that someone's made or whatever, but uh, it's, it's, but, <laughs> but uh, the, uh, we sort of set ourselves up. We can subsist from home on our own and without interaction. I mean, we think we can, maybe that's a better way of putting it. Where I live, there are these apartment buildings, right? Cause I live in an building. So you have like the penthouse people who are like the party people. So they have like fabulous party and they only go from Uber to penthouse to penthouse and they're party people. <laughs> then you have the midsection, which is just everybody who's just like the shut-ins. They're just getting their Instacart delivered, but they, they don't, they're just, I can see them like rear view window. I can like look out my window and I can right, point out. Right, right. And then you have the, the service economy people that have no choice, that has to be in public. So there's this sort of caste system mm-hmm. where we've put, um, there's like three tiers of people that you see. I, I see the, you know, penthouse parties, fabulous life, all very manicured and chaperoned. And then I see the middle people, the mole people, you know, the people that are like, sheltering in place in their apartments, even though there's no real reason to. And then the people you see on the streets are just the people that are, you know, delivery men, doormen, people that have to, you know, that they have to feed their children. So they have to be in public and be exposed. So there's a true, we used to talk about like a tale of two cities and income inequality, but now post COVID it's like on crack and on steroids. That whole idea has been just, just, 
you know, because there's this whole mid-level section of people. And those are all the people I work with that say they can't go to work. And I haven't figured out why they can't go to work. But I can tell you that you cannot get a lunch reservation anywhere in my neighborhood. So, <laughs> well, I don't know if you're, <laughs> you won't be working for the New York City Tourist Board any, anytime soon. But uh, is this a very, uh, is this a New York, very New York phenomenon? I mean, I've been back to the U.S. a few times, but uh, in the last couple of years, I was actually, those scenes you had on the plane were brought back, because I actually was in the States when everything hit, and I was probably on the last flight one of the last flights back to to the UK with my sons, two of which, Paul and Thomas, so I like your taste in, in names. Um, no, Paul and Thomas? I have a Paul and a Thomas and a Patrick. So, um, um, so yeah, yeah, so uh, lovely names. But, yeah, we were – I'm in Hartsfield Airport in Atlanta and at the international terminals, and there's not a single person to be seen. So I mean, it's cool. – that's when the iPhone did come in handy. I did use, you know, that was a, I, I probably got more likes for that twit, tweet than I've ever done. You know, it was just, uh, um, but uh, yeah, it's, I don't know. We're not painting, we're not painting a very hopeful picture right now for what you, do you, I'm not looking to you for the answers or anything, but do you, I mean, do you have hope for the no. future? No. No. Not for this country. I mean, I'm really, really worried about my children. Like yeah. really in my soul, I'm worried about my children. My husband, who chose to become an American, his whole thing is, I'm afraid they're going to go to school and someone's going to take out a gun and shoot them. He's always had that fear of gun thing because well, they don't have yeah. So he that was always his fear. Now it's spread just citywide to just any, you know, you can... Um, I went yesterday to buy bread. Oh, my husband's a, a, a bread snob because Europeans, they like real bread. In America, we like... Yeah, I know, one. I know. So I went to go buy him some bread. This just happened yesterday. And I was standing in front of Italy, which is like the fancy bread, whatever. Mm. So a lot of tourists during the tourist season, but now they're sort of gone. And there was an a elderly kind of guy standing in front of the place, minding his own business. And then a young hustler type guy walks over and bumps right into him and says, man, get the fuck out of my way, right? And then clearly reaches into his pocket and takes his wallet. Like the most right, obvious, right, yeah, easiest yeah. scam where you're like, oh God, this is so textbook. This is like a, this is like a skit. It's so, so obvious what's happening. So I see this and I think, oh, I'm appalled. And I go over and I tell the man, he just stole your wallet. Thinking that, you know, and then the man goes, then the man turns on me, the, the, the assailant who, Turns on me. Why are you getting in my business? And it starts like he's going to kill me. And then, and then I'm just thinking, wow, I just learned a very valuable lesson. I came home and I told my children, don't ever get engaged. When you see something wrong going on in the world, just shut your mouth and march on home. Like that's a real moment when you have that because you've been raising your children, I'm sure. Like be a responsible steward, get out there yeah. like Greta. Thunberg and march and do something with your life and save the planet and save us all. And now I'm like, you just don't you dare open your mouth if you see some injustice. You just run away. That's my. <laughs> well, well, I don't know. I must say, as someone who's not a not a New Yorker, this is starting to feel every a lot of stereotypes I grew up with. But uh, uh, I think there's even that's, that's the cliche. It's so funny. New York yeah. City has become the cliche of what you thought it was. Yeah. I mean, everybody I know says, oh, I'm going to get pushed on the tracks. I'm like, okay, that's happened like five times. I mean, it doesn't really happen that much, but 
there are a lot of subway rides every single day without somebody getting pushed on the tracks, but it's everybody's worst nightmare now about like the one lady that got pushed and killed on the tracks on her way to work in the morning. So now, you know, it happens was it's just, that's how that again is like the media. We don't report on the planes that land every day. We only report on the plane crash. So it's the same thing. One person getting pushed on the tracks has prevented now the subways are just, this is a war zone out there. Be careful. I don't take the subways. Uh, By the way, my friend, the psychiatrist, she doesn't take the subways. She says, I can't. I can't. I can't take the subways. I'm like, well, aren't you a aren't you a professional? Isn't this something you're supposed to do? Mm. Anyway, yeah, we're not we're not a lot of hope around here. We're, we're not. Let's, <laughs> let's come up with a happy ending. Can you come up with a happy yeah. ending? What would your mother say? Hmm. I'm trying to think. I'm just trying to think. Um, I don't know. I, I, I could, you, you, you stumped me. See, you stumped me. So, so, I, I, I don't know. I just think. Um, say some more prayers. Um, just learn to love each other. I don't know, but that's just very. I mean, that sounds very. That gets back to your tree hugger type. The types well, maybe, but. So I get to go to church like three times a day because they play the mass and I open the window and I can hear it. And they have all I grew up with, you know, all of the Jesus songs, which I know every word to, because as a failed Catholic, I know the words to every hymn. Right. Right. And they play them. And, and I love living next to a church because I feel like, even though I didn't go on Christmas, I feel like at least I get to pretend that I still have some faith in something because at least, you know, I may not be going, but somebody's going. They're filling that place. And so maybe that's our hope. Maybe whatever's, whatever's going on there, maybe they're going to save us all. I'm not sure. Why don't we leave it at that? And just to say thank you so much for joining us. I have to say this was the... I'm going to rate this as one of our top interviews on uh, on the podcast, definitely. Oh, thank you. Yeah. So... I haven't gotten many compliments lately, so I'm, you know, I'm, I'm so used to the like the toxic sludge that um, I'm, I, I, I will take that and I will um, treasure it and I will yeah. have, I will have a happy day today. Thank okay. you. Well, and uh, to put a put an exclamation point on that, I'll I'll just remind our listeners and watchers that we've been talking with acclaimed filmmaker Alexandra Pelosi producer and director of Pelosi in the House. Still, you can still find on HBO and I think a little bit while longer, Sky here in the UK. I also would like to thank those who helped make this podcast possible. A big shout out to Sam and Joe at Intersound Audio in York, England. Big thanks to Amy Ord, our podcast manager at Alamo Pictures, who ensures we continue getting great guests onto the show and that everything otherwise runs smoothly. Finally, a big thanks to our listeners. Many of you have been with us for four incredible seasons. Please keep sending us feedback and episode ideas, whether it is on YouTube, social media, or directly by email. Please also remember to like us and share us with your friends and family, wherever you happen to listen or watch podcasts. This is Factual America, signing off. You've been listening to Factual America. This podcast is produced by Almo Pictures, specializing in documentaries, television, and shorts about the USA for international audiences. Head on down to the show notes for more information about today's episode, our guests, and the team behind the podcast. 
Subscribe to our mailing list or follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Alamo Pictures. Be the first to hear about new productions, festivals showing our films, and to connect with our team. Our homepage is alamopictures.co.uk.